Hello and welcome to the podcast series The Four Pillars, designed for allied health professionals, students, non-registered assistant practitioners and all associated learners. This short series is designed to open the lid on the themes related to continuous professional development and we will meet and discuss hot topics with a variety of AHP leaders, practitioners, researchers and learners on how they manage to advance their practice and that of those around them. My name is Dougie Laughlin and this podcast series is sponsored and supported by Glasgow Caledonian University and is designed to support learners undertaking the GCU post-registration master's module in advancing professional practice. Whether you are a registered AHP developing your personal development profile or a non-registered assistant practitioner developing your career towards becoming a registered AHP, we hope this will be of interest to you. The podcast series will introduce you to the contemporary thoughts on CPD and much of the content in each podcast will be themed to align to the four pillars of practice as outlined by many professional bodies and healthcare organisations. Each week I will introduce you to a different guest who I feel captures the desired qualities in the respective fields which highlight what it means to develop practice. I hope that by exploring these topics you will gain a personal insight into how you can develop yourself and your practice. Welcome to the Four Pillars podcast series. Episode 5 today looks at the fourth of our Four Pillars of Practice, the Leadership Pillar. I'm pleased to welcome David Wiley, who is the Associate NMAP Director for NHS Education Scotland. David has been involved in NHS leadership for over 25 years. He is a Fellow of the Faculty of Podiatric Medicine within the Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons Glasgow, where he is also Director of Professional Education. He has two postgraduate degrees in research into organisational culture and AHP leadership, together with publications describing large-scale service and system redesign, provide national and international speaking and consultancy opportunities. David has been described as forcefully optimistic and has a track record of delivering whole system redesign and cultural transformation. These are programmes that help support radical improvement in service delivery, organisational performance and digital transformation. A leadership finalist at NHS Scotland's 2016 Scottish Health Awards, David is a Glasgow Warriors season ticket holder and enjoys pub quizzes, single Isle malts and a fine red Rioja. So I am absolutely enthused to hear what David um, Wiley is going to let us know over the next half hour. Um, David, welcome to GCU. Thanks very much, Dougie. It's a great privilege and pleasure to be here. Well, you know this is all part of a a series of podcasts that we've got supporting our learners in advancing practice. And many of them, I dare say, have tuned in today just to to hear what David Wiley has to say about the four pillars of practice, and in particular the leadership uh, pillar. But I want to start off, David, if I can, just by asking one of the first questions that we always ask our guests is what has driven you personally in your own CPD? Well I graduated or qualified as it was then back in 1982 when there was no requirement for CPD as such. There was no degree back then, there was no postgraduate 
formula, uh, f uh, formal postgraduate education back then. And, and so the currency that you traded in was how good were you clinically. Mm -hmm. And I had this thing going that I wanted to be the best clinician I could be. Yeah. So I was driven by clinical uh, excellence back in the day. Uh, and I'll be honest, when podiatry and the allied health professions moved, I'm a podiatrist by profession, when uh, the allied health professions moved into the degree space, I was somewhat sceptical, if I'm being honest, because my currency was hands-on stuff. Diploma-led, practical-based, let's look at that learning from the kind of doing. Aye, learning by doing. Yeah. And I got a job um, which involved education, and I, I, I had no postgraduate study at all, no postgraduate qualifications. And one of the conditions of doing, of getting that job was doing a master's degree. Now, there was no master's degree in podiatry at that time. Physio here at Glasgow Cali had just validated a clinical effectiveness module. And, uh, I think I've studied that. <laughs> there are, there are, I'm going to give you two names um, who uh, have been constants in my life since in terms of mentorship and support. Leslie Holdsworth Holdsworth, yep. and Val Blair. Val Blair. In fact, I did do that <laughs> module, absolutely. So we might have been on the same, same module, module back possibly, in the day. Yeah. And, and I had always kind of poo-pooed the whole academic thing because I'm a clinician mm -hmm. and there was a much bigger divide there between the two back in the day. You'll remember some of that. When I came to that module, it was like coming home. And I suddenly realised that I didn't know it all, uh, and that learning had to become a key part of my identity. And I'm a curious individual by nature, so opening up the whole academic world and the world of learning for me was like uh, a sweetie shop to a wee boy. Um, and, and I've never stopped learning since. I moved from doing the master's module in uh, clinical effectiveness here because there was no exit route for me as a podiatrist right, there, right? So I took that credit and I went to Strathclyde uh, Business School and did uh, completed my master's in health and social care. And part of that uh, pr program was a module on leadership, which is what we're here to talk about yeah. today. Yeah. And that really opened up my eyes to something that uh, resonated deeply within me um, around the impact of behaviours and uh, and values and role modelling and influencing on service delivery and on uh, how good a service could be was largely determined not by the clinical skills within the service but by the behaviours that were wrapped around that and the degree of collaboration and the degree of transparency, the degree of openness, the, the willingness to learn and say and be yeah. vulnerable and say I don't yeah. know something. Yeah, um, so. I, I, I finished my, uh, my my first postgrad degree. Did did a dissertation on uh, transformational leadership in allied health, uh, and actually on ResearchGate, still churning out the reads. Aye. You know, twelve years later, that that paper. Um, I wonder if that, you know, is that a good thing that we're, that, that papers from twelve years ago are still <laughs> churning the same thing? But maybe it just demonstrates that. It was either pivotal Aye. at that time. It was new. It was. It was niche. It was. And Allied Health was possibly ready, or maybe not ready for it then, 
but possibly is becoming more ready, which is why it's still churning out interest. Well, it, 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 the title of the paper was uh, Transformational Leadership in the Allied Health Professions, mm -hmm. and nothing had been done in that space before. Uh, and it was published in the Journal of Allied, the International Journal of Allied Health, so it got a bit of a profile. But I think you might be right. Um, it, it, it's considered a seminal paper. Mm -hmm. I don't yep. mean to sound... No, you but know, it hadn't been done previously. Hadn't been done before. So it triggered things. Aye, and 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 so from that, um, opportunities opened up mm. to me. Uh, the 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 learning uh, has never stopped. I mean, I'm sure. I'm 62 now, and um, I'm I'm still hungry to know and curious to learn. And I I think whatever stage you're at in your career, uh, or even in your academic journey as a, an undergrad or a postgrad, um, the, the, the more proactive you can be in terms of your curiosity, I think the bigger the return will be. Mm. Um, what it did for me was it made me more confident about the things I did know, mm -hmm. and it made me more humble about the things I didn't know, yeah, and sure. it made me more respectful of other people who knew a lot more about those things than I did. Um, and that was good. The, the, these are behaviours, obviously, that, that we look to instil less about you know those positions of people in power, but more about how they behave with others. And that reflective component that, that, that you're talking about, just looking back, I, I wonder if we can just direct you to our second question, which is a little bit more of a personal question on you relating back to specifics. So I, I'm thinking, was there a specific moment or incident that made you think I, or possibly we as a team, can do better than this? Yeah. I, I, I think the first thing that, that one has to get in place in terms of leadership is, is the self. Mm -hmm. So holding up the mirror is the hardest thing. Mm -hmm. um, and And... I was caused to hold up the mirror when I, I was appointed into a job that required me to do postgraduate study, as I said earlier. Uh, and I then began to realise that that was a deficit. As, as I learned more about leadership and leadership behaviours from the academic world, and as I began to be curious about leadership models and the impact of these behaviours on service delivery, I began to realise that how I behaved in my role was actually a bigger determinant of team performance mm. than any top-down approach that forced yes. people to behave in a specific way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Uh, is it because we, as leaders, are able to set tone or set mood or feel? Is that, is that something I, I th that you I think, can do? I think there's two things there. There's, there's personal leadership behaviours which, which are encapsulated, as I said, within the self. And they are completely within my control. Mm. How I behave is my responsibility in every situation. And owning that every day, yeah. in every conversation, in every situation, taking responsibility for my attitude, my behaviour and my effort is within my compass. And you know what, Doogie? That's about all I can change or influence yeah. is me. <laughs> Right, <laughs> the rest of it happens at a, a ethereal level right. or a way above. So there's that there's that personal leadership, but then there's positional leadership, yeah. Yeah. which is attached not 
to me as an individual, but to the role that I might occupy. Mm -hmm. So you'll sometimes see that people will have it in their job title, team leader or something like that, mm -hmm. operational lead or HP lead or something mm -hmm. like that. So there, there, there is positional leadership that carries with it a degree of organisational responsibility. And wrapped up in that are often a lot of management type skills. The behaviours are the same in both spaces. Um, but the influence on others is likely to be greater in a hierarchy. So if you are in a leadership position and you're not taking responsibility for those behaviours that I mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. um, then when people in your service or in your team look at you, they, they will either be... Um, the, the, the culture that you will be creating and the vibe, if I can use that word, that you will be generating within the service and the narrative mm -hmm. that is being heard will either be a positive, forward-facing, can-do narrative or it will be a victim, you know, poor us, critical, yeah. you know, blame-finding narrative. Do you know exactly. what I mean? And, and that narrative, of course, that can be influenced by the people, by your team, by the readiness of those others that are very close to you or indeed that organisational yeah. structure yeah. that sometimes sets barriers yeah. on yeah. leaders and, and I think having that relationship between those that you work alongside, whether you're in that leadership role or not it's important to understand I'm going to throw this word out here in, in leadership and it's culture yeah. you know, what, what cultures, yeah. what ethos yeah. do you have in yeah. the way in which you manage? So you asked earlier about a specific event or a specific time, Doogie, and in 2012 um, in Greater Glasgow and Clyde where I worked um, the organisation decided to create a single system podiatry service. There were 11 services <laughs> including the acute mm -hmm. no which is a, cu a culture of its own, right? <laughs> So um, they decided to pull all that together and, and I was privileged to be given the head of service role. Mm -hmm. So as I prepared for that, it was a six-month lead-in, as I prepared for that, I got myself some mentorship and I prepared myself for the kind of leader that I wanted to be in the kind of yeah. culture that I wanted to develop because were you given that blank canvas was that was that something that you felt right I can shift this I can create this I well, can build this I, I was given operational targets and imperatives right, right? So. so I was given the what right, okay. this is what we want you to deliver mm -hmm. but as I said earlier the what in my view then became determined by the how Mm -hmm. how was I going to do that yeah. so that was what I was going to have to do mm -hmm. reduce waiting times uh, save money, the usual stuff right? so that was the what and you could do that in a variety of ways and as I looked at the brief having got the job and then starting to think you know, how am I going to do this <laughs> uh, I decided that, 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 that the, the how was going to be really important because there were 11 services each of them had their own culture each of them had their own baggage. Each of them had their own way of doing things. Yeah. So it, it would have been it would have been foolish of me to come in like the knight on the white horse that I might have done twenty years before, saying, you know, I'm the top drawer clinician yeah, here, yeah. I know how to do oh, this, absolutely. follow me. Yeah, and that would have been foolish. You know, uh, we adopted a, an adaptive leadership approach to that. So we were inclusive 
we brought people together, we, we, we asked them to say what great would look like for podiatry in five, ten years' time, mm -hmm. what would the best look like, and then create that from to model. How do we get from here to there? And there's a thing in uh, one of the leadership models that I'm finding helpful at the moment is Myron Rogers' systems lead leadership yep. Yep. Uh, and being comfortable in chaos. Yes. Because we're in chaotic times oh, and it's so not going to get any easier, right? So we have to learn to manage with all these competing tensions. And one of the things that Myron Rogers says is, and it's really helpful, the, the future that we get is determined by the process that we use to get to that future. And it's that whole thing again, you know, you don't remember everything that everybody says to you in your career, but you remember how certain people made you feel. So how do these leadership skills theories as a leader help practice the get get how do we help practice and practitioners at the cold face? That's my experience. Well one one of the challenges is that, that um hierarchies get in the way of creativity. So if if people at the coalface see people in leadership in positional leadership roles as being remote and removed, then there's something wrong with the leadership model. Mm. Because leadership, positional leadership, strategic leadership, is only worth what it's worth in terms of the currency that you measure it in is connectivity, in my view, mm -hmm. and visibility. So if you're invisible and disconnected, you're not leading anything. You can call yourself anything you like, but you turn around and you're not connected to anything and nobody's following you, so right? You need a thing to you actually do. You do. form so, a basis. So visibility and connectivity hmm. are vital. Listening is a key skill. And, and allowing individuals to, to influence within their own sphere. So everyone is a sphere of influence. This is Stephen Covey's stuff. Mm -hmm. Around... Um, Rather than allow your circle of concern, all the things that, 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 that you're worried about in your job or your role or, or, or whatever you're working in, allowing those things to, to determine your, uh, your, your behaviour is, is an externally determined way to live your life. Mm -hmm. And that leads to victim behaviour. Yeah. And poor me, and if only it was different and all Absolutely. the rest. Now, can I change the world? No. However, I've got a sphere of influence and I can, I can take, it's what I said earlier, yeah. you can take responsibility for that. You can be curious. Ask why. Explore. Be open to change. You know, take responsibility for stuff. I see this a lot, especially in, in, in you know, undergraduates when I was teaching clinically and postgraduates as they came into the workplace. They were feared. <laughs> to use a good Glasgow word, they were feared to take responsibility yeah. in case, or make a big decision in case somebody up there came back and sure. slapped them over the back of the head. And I think that exists more, it's probably never been so current at the moment, post-pandemic, that a lot of the practitioners that, that are probably listening to this, hopefully, hopefully finding it as helpful and enjoyable as I am, about the, the that chaos culture and about the new roles, the adapted responsibilities, and they're the, the unknown about uh, where they are working, what client groups they're working with. Yeah. How, can we, how can we work safely in that place, and how do leaders help support 
practitioners in this unknown world. And, and again, that's back to visibility, connectivity and systems approach. Mm. So um, one, one of the, the, the key things about understanding systems leadership is understanding what it's like to live with tension, mm. often irreconcilable tension. So on the one hand, post-pandemic, we are being driven towards a position where you need to change, you need to do it different, mm -hmm. you need to do it different, you need to do it different. But what we're seeing already within the system is the, the walls coming up and the need for stability on the other hand. Yeah. Because people... Too much change too quickly correct, is a destabilizer. But we've got both of these, right? Yeah, yeah. And leadership is practised in the middle yeah. where it's messy. Yeah. So the key to be a good systems leader is to understand what it is you're dealing with, and you get that by getting on the balcony and looking at it, to understand what it is you're dealing with, and then to hold both of those unchanging facts mm -hmm. in the system and be the lightning conductor. Now, that's painful and difficult, and that's why <laughs> leadership is difficult, yeah. why leadership behaviours are difficult, because we can, we can go into that space where we think, I can't do this, poor me, I'm an imposter, all that kind of yeah. stuff. And, and you see this tension not just in, in terms of the need to change and the need to remain stable and strong, but think about your, your listeners who are, are pushing on their, their education and looking to improve themselves through their academic qualification, which is fabulous. Mm -hmm. So you've got supporting the high flyers on the one hand, and we all know that there are some folk if you get them out of bed in the morning into work and doing anything, it's a miracle, right? I, so you're you're working with that tension yeah, even with yeah. your colleagues. You know, you've got you've got the work avoiders and the and, and the high flyers. I'm always aware of that. I think moving on from that, we're, we're going to talk about again another personal question about CPD and what makes it enjoyable. What aspect of CPD do you enjoy the most? Oh gosh, well, I, I, I like, um, I like data. <laughs> oh, it drives the world, as I'm continuously told by a good friend, Ewan McComsky of CSP, that, you know, we are all, we should be data geeks. I know, yeah. but the, the vast majority of colleagues that I've worked with in Allied Health over the years would rather run over broken glass with bare feet than read an Excel spreadsheet, right? <laughs> well, maybe is there is there horses for courses there? Or should we utilise the data geeks to inform, I to think, provide support for yeah. decision making? Is that I, th I think I think you're right there, I, I, and it is horses for courses. And as long as you've got one of these people in your service or one of these yeah. people in your yeah. team, yeah. most people know who that go-to guy is yeah. that will do your graphs and your charts, right? And typically they're. <laughs> very happy to take Correct. a project like that. It's yeah. a happy space yeah, for them. Yeah. So it's a happy space for me. So so looking at, I talked about leadership research. The leadership research that I've done is all is all data-based. You know, it's so all quantitative. And, and this supports the element of, of success, or yes. this supports the element of um, directional shifts right. and So change. I like measuring things. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, because... You know, I've got this mindset, you know, if it doesn't count, it doesn't count. Yes. No, uh, yes. And how do you know you're moving it on? Now, I know all the qualitative people listening to this will be saying, yes, David, but, you know... There's a lot of experience in that number. You mentioned how yeah, earlier, yeah, 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 you know, yeah, yeah. so... 
uh, that's not unimportant, yeah. but it's somebody else's passion, not mine. And I suppose that, you know, it's like, let's put our research heads on here, that, you know, numbers are great when you've got a critical mass. Yes. And you can then determine what shift is actual yes. and what the probability of that yes. shift being wrong yeah. is, is less. Yeah. So I suppose, how do you go about that then in your CPD? How do you gain this critical mass of data? Well, one of the... I mean, obviously, reading mm-hmm. is vital, um, and and being part of online learning communities, right. whether it's podcasts or uh, or online learning um, webinars or sure. or whatever. One of the things that the medics have got right is that they've got learning and education enshrined into their job plans. Yes. And that's that's an ongoing challenge for me. You know, I've just finished a piece of work on learning culture in allied health that I'm mm. trying to get published at the moment. And, and it actually demonstrates that learning culture in allied health in Scotland is sitting at about 60% of the learning culture in the Turkish healthcare system. Really? Yes. Okay. Yes. So there's a little bit of catching up to yes. do. Yes, okay. yes, yes. But, but see, using data in that way as part of my thinking helps me to quantify the challenge. Mm-hmm. Now, what it shows, it shows me in a visual and numeric way where, where, where the, the strengths are and where the weaknesses are, and, and, and that's how I like to process data. It can be powerful. Numbers can always be powerful. Yeah. Visuals can be powerful. When yeah. you see a graph at a meeting, yeah. you think, oh, Christ, that doesn't That's look right. too good. But, but how, do we do, how do we fully appreciate the veracity of some of that data? What, what, you know, what about the sources from Turkey? You know, how, how's that been? And I'm keeping my research head on here. I'm thinking sure. about the, the variables and the sources and where did we get that and who did they ask? And I know, and, and that's one of the challenges because the published data using the tool that I used for that piece of work, I think, um, was largely done in uh, nursing and medicine. Right. And I've already said that medics have dedicated time for learning. Yep. So, obviously, in the discussion around that, you're... you're you know, exp- explaining the limitations, etc. But nonetheless, I think it's an argument f- for doing a bit better. Oh, no, absolutely. I think it's back to that bit, you know, don't sack the message. You know, let, yeah. let's look at what the overall theme is here. And, and I think, you know, if there are trends there, if there are big stories that have got to have a positive outcome, then let's not look for small problems in the detail when yeah. actually the... The big problem staring you in the face, you know. And, and that's my thing, that kind of bringing some data to the, the discussion that helps depersonalise it. So it's not just Wiley off on another rant here. <laughs> you know, he's, he's been reading something and he's brought something to the table and he said, look, I was reading this and here are the findings there. Where, where do you think we are on that? Yeah, no, I agree. What do you think? Is there something for us to learn here? Could we be doing better here? And even if, even if the result of that is that, you know what, we're actually doing okay, at least the conversation has Correct. been had. Our last question, which we ask all guests, is, is, is a very simple one, but can take uh, various different routes. And that is, who benefits from CPD? Gosh, well, I think there are, I, I, I mean, there's multiple layers to this. Um, clearly, there's an individual benefit to me as the person carrying out the CPD and the learning and the development. 
and not just in terms of staying on the register as a box tick. If this is done properly, you open yourself up to development and self-understanding and self-awareness in areas that you never thought of before. And here's a point, no matter who you are or where you are in the system, you cannot know yourself well enough. That's not narcissistic. That is essential learning. Know yourself. First know yourself. Know the things you're good at and know the limits of your capacity and your capability mm. because other people will have stuff you don't have. Absolutely. And that makes you that makes you a team player because you then ask somebody else to help you. And that can be a vulnerable space. So the individual element is is absolutely obvious. But then as we think up um, the, there is team and potential service benefit to CPD sure. because CPD can be done at an individual level but if it's been done properly in services it will be done through a learning and education plan that will actually identify what are we going to do together as a team in this yeah. learning space what do we need to learn we as a team? We all need to learn the same thing. No, we don't. But, but we need to, as a team, almost uh, have a collective you know, um, kind of strategy for learning across right. all bases are, right. are, are being... So what, 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 are we gonna, what, what, are the, what are the team priorities for learning you know, this year? And that ought to be linked to what you're trying to deliver in the service. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that shared learning is really important, and that's a different type of learning than the individual CPD. Um, And and you're absolutely right. So it might be an anatomy refresher for everybody. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That'd be a good thing. Yeah. If you're a physio, if you're a podiatrist, if you're an orthodist, prosthodist, or or whatever. If anatomy is a core part of your your, uh, daily work, then a refresh on that isn't a bad thing. Mm -hmm. As we know, so that that level of of of, of uh, team uh, CPD can be beneficial. Going up another level, there there will be CPD benefits um, that are uh, achievable and appropriate for multiple teams mm-hmm. within a system. Yeah. So yeah. then you're starting to get into more generic learning and 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 more. Um, more systems learning in yeah. terms of of helping each other understand how the system works. Absolutely, I, I saw that I personal, you know, experience of that in the first back pain service yeah. that we had in Greater Glasgow, and you know, one of the biggest outputs that we had from that within the first two years was the reduction in plain X-rays yes. in the lumbar spine yes. for mechanical low back yeah. pain that did not have a. Yeah. An osseous origin or sure. a pathology origin, and you know that you know reduction in um, referral or reduction in requirement for playing films or, or actually had an impact not in the physiotherapy service or the GP service, which was where the posts derived from, yeah. but actually impacted consultants, yeah. it impacted radiographers, yeah, yeah, yeah. Radi- the, the whole acute diagnostic imaging. Uh, field was impacted by that and, and it's this spin-off isn't sure. it that one team can have an influence in the others but it doesn't always happen like that no no it know? doesn't always happen like that I mean it's good when it does um, and I always think in terms of if you can leave things a couple of degrees better than yep. they were when yep. you found them remember we were talking earlier about moving through that role yes 
if you if if when you leave that space, you leave things, you leave the environment in which you operated, two clicks to the good. Twenty years time, folks that come after us, yeah. Dugate, will still be having these conversations about how can we make things better. But a friend of mine talks about the ten percent change. Correct, and it's correct. that element of don't look to. Correct. Make that step change exactly. too quickly, but just it's little little steps. And it's interesting you mentioned ten percent because there's evidence in the literature. <laughs> Back to the data. There's evidence in the literature. You'd be disappointed if I didn't. There's evidence in the literature that if you focus on your own leadership development and do some leadership development training, or go on a leadership development course, or do some reading around leadership over a sustained period and do some reflective work on that, That, and this is true from my own my own research as well, um, you'll see about a 10% improvement over a year. Now, that might not sound that much, but to be 10% better in every conversation, to be 10% better in every interaction, to be 10% better in out, output and outcome, if everybody's doing that, yeah. There's That's small marginal swell. gains, right? Yes, it is. Aye, Dave Brailsford and his Aye, aluminium. We don't, we don't talk to. Bikes. We don't talk about that too much <laughs> no, these days. We don't use the cycling. <laughs> other models were done that that, that that may not have been problematic. Absolutely. That's right. Always. So uh, that ten percent, I think, you know, we're never going to be perfect, but we can be better. And 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 the final message really is just about taking responsibility for your own stuff. Yeah. And be proactive. Be curious. And, uh, and and to me, uh, they're the leadership behaviours that govern everything else. Because if you're curious and proactive, you will be, especially if you're curious, you, you, you will definitely become a more humble person. It'll know all be about you because you'll recognise that other people have all the bits of the jigsaw that you don't have. And you need them as much as they need you. Oh, David, that's wonderful. Listen, thank you very much for sharing your thoughts with us. Uh, I'm sure the listeners will be taking this away and thinking about their own development in the future. Uh, my last thoughts are, please, please, even at 62, keep up the curiosity, but more importantly, keep up the hunger. <laughs> and I'm sure we'll hear more from you in the future. Well, thanks very much, Dougie. It's been a great pleasure. And uh, all the very best to the listeners in their own learning journey. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks to David for that really interesting insight into his experience as a leader within the NHS. Join me next week for the final episode in our podcast series looking at the four pillars of practice. We'll be joined by Karen Hawhey, who is a student on the APP programme.